How are you doing? Nice to see you. Is it nice to see me? It's one of my brother's lines. Couldn't resist it. So, new year, new series, and a great opportunity, dare I say, for a little bit of a challenge. Are we out for a challenge? Put your hands up if you're out for a challenge. That's about 10 of us. Excellent. So, the uh, big series question on the screen right now is, is your Christianity too safe? Ooh, dear. So, here's a question for you. Is Christianity keep, supposed to keep us safe, or are we intended to be dangerous? Are we supposed to spend all our energy avoiding doing anything wrong? Christianity can seem like that at times. Or are we supposed to be stepping out to do something right? Are we supposed to be surviving? Or are we supposed to be thriving? Are we supposed to be hanging in there? Who's hanging in there? Or are we supposed to be stepping out there? Let's ask this question. Was the Christianity that Jesus modelled safe? Okay, that's a trick question because they crucified him, right? What about the other 11 disciples? We know, don't we, that, that 11 of them were martyred in difficult, cruel and unthinkable ways. The 12th one, John, did actually survive. He was exiled. He actually did live into his old age. But what he didn't realise is he actually survived his execution. They put him in a boiling cauldron of oil and he survived. What about Paul? We often talk about Paul the Apostle, don't we? He was flogged and he was stoned and he was bitten by snakes and he was imprisoned and he was shipwrecked. I think I'd hesitate to call that safe. We could ask it, we could ask it like this. Are we aiming for comfort or fruitfulness? Are we settling for God's best? Sorry, are we settling for our best or are we aiming for God's best? Is it going to be Christianity on, on your terms or is it going to be Christianity on his terms. Now, now for me, those, those are pretty challenging questions. I'll be really honest with you. Is that okay? I love being comfortable. Do you know what? I love my sofa. I love being curled up with my dogs. That's Eric, isn't he cute? I mean, why wouldn't you want to be there? You know, I love sitting there with my wife watching my favourite TV shows. I love that. Do you know what else? You know, I really like having my own way. Do you know, I have my own personal preferences. I have my own favourite topics. I enjoy certain worship styles. I love it, you know, when church ticks my boxes. You know what I mean? I love having my own way. I'll be really honest with you, I'm not a great fan of pain. I'm not a great fan of sacrifice or inconvenience or interruption. 
or hassle. Anyone else with me? Is it just me? You're holier than me, I guess. I, th- I think it would be fair to say that this, it, it, arguably there's never been a better time to be alive. You know, we've got all the mod cons and the gadgets and, and the luxuries and the comforts. They're all readily available. And if you haven't got them yet, just slip yourself onto Amazon. It'll be here by this afternoon. What, what a comfortable world we live in. I, I was having a little entertaining moment. A- anyone remember three TV channels? Who remembers that? Amazing. What about, what about before you had a remote control? You had to walk up and you had to turn it on. You had to turn the... You know, you couldn't even press a button. You had to dial it in. First TV I had was black and white. That shows how old I am. But here's another one. Can, can, who remembers phone boxes? Phone boxes. What about Pens. I mean, do you remember we had to write things down rather than typing it? You know, what a world we live in. And I think here's the danger. I think the danger is that it's possible for our Christian lives... Sorry, I just got to look at Eric. Isn't he cute? Just leave that picture up there forever. It's easy for our Christian lives and our theology and, and our ecclesiology to slip slide into becoming about our comfort and our preferences, and our personal priorities. And the trouble is, in doing that, there's a danger that we lose sight of the radical kingdom that Jesus came to build. And we also, I think, if we're not careful, we can turn Christianity into a rather boring maintenance program. And in doing so, we we lose the potential for, for dynamic adventure. Maybe not quite as dynamic as Paul and John, I don't know, but a little bit of dynamism would be good. We lose the potential for for the buzz of taking a risk and the thrill of a win. Now, as I ask this question, I start this series. A little bit of a disclaimer. This, This train of thought is for me, okay? I'm also pretty sure that it's a prophetic challenge for the 21st century church. And as I ask this question, I want to say right from the beginning, this is intended to be a challenge. I'm not standing here intending to beat you up. Because reality is you're probably very good at doing that all by yourself and you just don't need my help. The aim in this is to stir you upwards and onwards as we dive into 2020. That's the plan. In this series, there are going to be six messages. The first one is today is called, Do You Really Take Him at His Word? Not going to get quite as far into that as I'd like, but hey, that's good. Number two is going to be, Would You Walk Across the Room? If you've been here long enough, you have an idea what I'm talking about there. Number three is, Have You Opened the Door Wide? Number four is, Are You Prepared to embrace the mess. Number five is how furious is your love? And number six is how radical is your generosity? As you can tell, I'm very excited about that. Apologies if you're not. I will intend to be excited for the both of us. That's all right. 
What I want to do now is I want to take a little time to explain the origin and the evolution of these ideas in my head. At this point, I need to give credit to Neil Letizier, who sparked uh, this next little stretch, at least as we had coffee a few months ago. And, and coming out of that, and as I pondered what we've been talking about, I had a bit of an aha moment. Uh-oh, I hear you say. It's bad news when Jamie has an aha moment. And you know, I saw the clarity of, of this challenge as it applied to me, and as it applies to, to us, and as it applies to us as a church collectively. And incidentally, this next little stretch I use is the introduction to our leadership retreat back at the end of October or whenever it was. So I want to just share a little bit, remind you a little bit of an Old Testament story. Actually, Michael Tobb was, was, was speaking on this as well a few weeks ago. And it's the story of Joshua and the Hebrews, the Israelites, going across the Jordan and into the Promised Land. Remember the story? Uh, the, the, the backdrop is we know that the Hebrews had been freed from uh, captivity in Egypt under Moses' leadership. And then they wandered rather aimlessly around the wilderness for 40 years. They grumbled like crazy. They received the Ten Commandments, if you remember, and, and all the rest of the detail of that Mosaic law. But by the time we hit Joshua chapter 1, Moses is now dead, and Joshua has just taken over the leadership of the people. And you know what? After the 40 years of meandering, they finally arrived on the edge of the promised land. Then in Joshua chapter 1, you can kind of follow along. Uh, right at the beginning, God gives Joshua his commission. And in verse 5, he says, I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail or abandon you. And then he said, he said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Verse 6 and 7, for you're the man who's going to lead these people into the land I promised their ancestors. Verse 7 and 8, just follow my lead, just obey what I say, just keep the word of God right at the centre. And then in the second half of Joshua chapter 1, Joshua passes on the commission to the officers uh, of Israel. And he essentially says this, get ready to cross the Jordan River because in three days time we're going in to possess the land. And then at this point, there's an interesting little episode where, where Joshua calls together the leaders of three tribes. And the three tribes were Reuben and Gad and Manasseh. And to understand this conversation, we need to, we need to go back into Numbers chapter 32 and a specific incident in Moses' days. I'm going to read that to you. It's Numbers 32 verse 16. And it says, but they, and we're talking about the leaders of these three tribes, Reuben, Manasseh and Gad. They approached Moses and said, we simply want to build pens for our livestock and fortify towns for our wives and children. Then we will arm ourselves and lead our fellow Israelites into battle until we brought them safely to their land. Meanwhile, our families will stay in the fortified towns we built here so they will be safe from any attacks by the local people. We will not return to our homes until all the people of Israel have received their portions of land, but we do not claim any of the land on the other side of the Jordan. We would rather live here on the east side and accept this as our grant of land. 
Essentially they're saying, sure, 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 the promised land on the other side of this river, I'm sure it's great. But we'd like to build our towns over here on the east side of the river. You know, we'll help you guys across, but we've decided we would like to settle here. And the point is, you know, for those guys, they, they decided to settle for second best. They'd been promised, hadn't they, a land flowing with milk and honey. But they settled for less. Do you know they completed 95% of their journey, but decided right here would do just fine. Verse 17, a few clues. Our families will stay in the fortified towns we built here so they will be safe from any attacks by those pesky locals. Jamie's translation. That's Joshua 1. Moving into Joshua 2. And Joshua 2, Joshua sends two spies, if you remember, into the land of Jericho, where uh, Rahab, who was a woman of a certain repute, She hid them and actually she helped them escape at the end by lowering them out of her windows on a cord of rope. And at the end of of that chapter in verse 24, the spies reported back and they said, the Lord has given us the whole land and they're terrified of us. And then in Joshua chapter 3, the next chapter, they, they arrive, the Israelites arrive at the banks of the river. They set up camp there. And then in verse 2, they're given a key instruction which in essence is always follow the priests with the ark. There's some very powerful symbolism in there. And then verse 5, a really significant verse that we're going to come back to, says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. And then verse 9 through 13, Joshua gives to the people God's promises and God's instructions. And it culminates in verse 13 where it says, The priests will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. And as soon as their feet touch the water, talking about the River Jordan, the flow of water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. Joshua chapter 4, once they, they crossed the river, that the first thing they did, the first thing they did was to build an altar, to build a memorial. Again, very significant. In, in chapter 5, um, God, God re-establishes the covenant with them and all the men are circumcised, which I'm going to skip over quite quickly other than to say that they used flint knives. Okay, pause for effect. Uh, chapter 6, which is the biggie. Chapter 6, um, they, they're given clear instructions and they're told exactly how They were to march around the walls of the city of Jericho, if you remember, for seven days. On the seventh day, they were going to go seven times, give a shout, and all the walls were going to fall down, all this kind of thing. And of course, they they followed the instructions to the letter, and the city gloriously fell that day into the hands. God gave them the victory. Two more chapters. In Joshua chapter 7, by now, I think it's fair to say the Israelites are reasonably pleased with themselves. Okay, now that Jericho has fallen into their hands, they're feeling kind of slightly, I don't know, proud of themselves, I guess. And so they attacked the next town, which is called Ai, spelled A-I. They attacked it at haste, 
on their own terms, in their own way. And the, the account there explains that they were humiliatingly, embarrassingly defeated that day. There was sin in the camp, Achan, all that kind of thing. And then in chapter 8, the next chapter, this time they defeated the city of Ai because this time they did it God's way. So, with, with the three tribes in mind, here, here's the challenge question. The challenge is, are we going to go all the way or are we going to stop just a little bit short like those three tribes? Are we prepared to keep going? Are we prepared, Joshua 3 verse 5, to consecrate ourselves? Are we prepared to follow the ark? Are we prepared to humble ourselves? Are we prepared to do it God's way and to obey his word fully? Because that leads to the promised land. I'll put it another way into our context. Are we prepared to press into the fullness of what God has for us? Or would we rather settle just here where it's comfortable? You know, I think, I think this principle applies to us personally. And I think it applies to us as a church. You know, for, for you and me, is, is there a danger that by staying where we perceive it to be safe, we miss what God has for us? You know, what if the, if, what if the best stuff requires us to step out of our comfort zone? So here's the question. As a church, are we prepared to press into the fullness of what God has for us? Or would we rather settle just here where it's comfortable? I mean, after all, folks, look around the, look around the room. We're doing okay, aren't we? It's fine just here, isn't it? You know, after all, God has led us here. God led us here to this point and this time and this place, so it must be good, right? I mean, let's face it, the worship band, they're, they're pretty decent. You know, they, they sing the songs I like. I, I can sit down there in my, in my comfy, very comfy chair. You know, the programs that I need are well run. My kids are well taken care of. You know, the facilities are in good shape. Good enough to show off my friends if they choose to come. The teaching is nourishing. Enough of God to be encouraging and inspiring, but not too much to be challenging and unsettling. You know, we could settle right here, couldn't we? We could settle right here where it's safe and secure and comfy and respectable. But what miraculous provision will we miss if we do? Is there a danger that we fall short of the fullness of what God has for us? I mean, after all, folks, don't we want the promised land? I don't know what the promised land for you is, but for me, the promised land is the fullness of the Spirit. It's revival in the church. It's the healing of the nations. It's the saving of the multitudes. Do we want the promised land? I do. I do if... I can pull myself away from the warm, fuzzy lure 
of safe and comfortable. Remember those questions I just lobbed out a few minutes ago. Are we aiming for comfort or fruitfulness? Are we settling for our best or are we aiming for God's best? Is it going to be Christianity on your terms or is it going to be Christianity on his terms? It might be just a little bit different. Now I call this message, do you really take him at his word? You see, those three tribes, Reuben, Gad and Manasseh, you know, they, they, they part believed God. That they believed, I, I think, that he'd rescue them from captivity, which of course he did. They were a little reluctant, but they allowed God to lead them through the wilderness. But they stopped just short of the promised land and decided to settle for second best. They decided to settle for nearly there. They decided to settle for almost free. They decided to settle for partially obedient. They decided to settle for a degree of blessing. Twitter, I'd say, what a shame. What a shame. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's not do that individually. Let's not do that as a church. And if that is the case, let's ask these questions. Where did those three tribes go wrong? What were they required to do? And where did they fall short? And to answer that question, we're going to dive back into Joshua. Joshua chapter 1. The first point, three points of course. The first point is, is they were called to obey the word of God precisely. That's what they were called to do. That's what we're called to do. So Joshua 1 verse 7 says, Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Verse 8, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. So you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. And repeatedly through the book of of Joshua, particularly those eight chapters that I've just really quickly summarised, we see the importance of doing it God's way. Of obeying His voice. Of keeping fixed on His promises. And so the instruction for Joshua here is never let God's word out of your sight. Not even for a moment. So the first thing they were required to do, and they fell just a little bit short of, was obeying the word of God precisely. The second one was to consecrate yourselves in preparation. So I read this already. Joshua 3 verse 5 in the New Living Translation says, Then Joshua told the people, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. I just want you to pause for a second and look at this verse and ask yourself the question, what was their job, that verse, and what was God's job? Because then there's a danger that we get these confused and we get these the wrong way around. What's our job and what's God's job? I want you to notice, who's the one who's going to be doing the amazing things? 
his. And here's the danger. The danger is we pump ourselves up thinking we have to do amazing things for God. The amazing things is God's job, not ours. Our job is to consecrate ourselves. Literally, the Hebrew there means to, to set yourself apart. Set yourself apart as something holy and separate and dedicated to God. I love what Mark Batson says about that verse. He says, here's our fundamental problem. We try to do God's job for him. We want to do amazing things for God, and that seems noble, but we've got it backwards. God wants to do amazing things for us. That's his job. Our job is consecration. That's it. We're going we're to go back to that a little bit more in the context of next week's message. But, but, but here's the troublesome part in that. The troublesome part is that that, that verse means that I'm going to have to lay down my comfort and my safety and I'm going to have to set myself apart for the will and purposes of God. And if I really am going to consecrate myself, that means that Jesus gets to be on the throne and he gets to choose. It means that the Holy Spirit is leading and I am following. But the good news is, as this verse promises, if we consecrate ourselves, that prepares the way for God to do those amazing things. And you know, those three tribes, they could have had the promised land, but they nudged God off the throne and they chose their own plan. Again, what a shame. So number one is to obey the word precisely. Number two is to consecrate yourself in preparation. Number three is to be strong and courageous. Back to Joshua 1 verse 6. God told Joshua, be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, this is my command, be strong and courageous. It's subtle, but I suspect Joshua got it. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let me ask you this little question. How would things change if we really lived like that? Strong and courageous, bold and full of faith, refusing to be afraid or discouraged, whatever the opposition, whatever the odds, whatever the noise, remembering always that he is with us. That we take God Almighty, who is inside us, we take him with us into every room, into every situation, into every decision, into every crisis. Do you know what, folks? If, like the Israelites, we want to enter our promised land, we are going to have to do, number one, we're going to have to trust and obey God. Number two, we're going to have to consecrate ourselves. And number three, we're going to have to be strong and courageous. Okay, let's go back now. Let's swing back to that original question. 
Is your Christianity too safe? And here's the danger for us as Christians. The danger is that we decide to settle where it's safe and where it's comfortable and where it's predictable. And as I've already said, that's a very tempting place to be. We decide to settle in the place where we're we're doing the same thing as everyone else. We are, if you like, conforming. We're spinning the wheels. Yes, we're playing the game. Yes, but we never really take a risk. Never really upsetting anybody. And falling short of really trusting the promises of God that will take us into the promised land. And so there's a tantalizing challenge for us, I think, going forwards, which is this. Will we really trust God or are we going to play it safe? Will we really trust God or we play it safe? Again, that applies to us as a church, but it applies to you individually. Are you going to trust God or are you going to stick where it's nice and safe and secure and cozy and comfortable in your little bubble? Let's ask this, what are the promises of God that he's spoken over us? Do we really believe them? Who does God say we are? And do we walk in the fullness of it? Or do we just kind of hang back and say, do you know what, I'm just going to stay here. Not quite take God at his word. I'll just kind of settle back here and I'll shy away and I'll leave that for other people. And, you know, yeah, I'll play the game. Yeah, I don't want to offend anybody or look strange or you know, don't be one of these crazy fools for Christ Christians. Will we trust God or are we going to play it safe? What is available to us as children of God and do we take advantage of it? What is our inheritance in Christ? And are we going to take hold of it? And then I love this one. Who is living on the inside of us? And do we even notice? The question is, do we really take him at his word? Or are we stopping short and backing off and playing it safe? Do do we only pay attention to the easy, convenient and comfortable bits? Are we trusting or are we holding back? Are are we consecrating or are we striving and meddling? Are we courageous or are we hiding? Ouch, Jamie. You're treading on my toes. To which I say, sorry about that. But, but that, that can't be me because I'm too busy stomping on my own. And again, I'm not trying to beat you up here. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to lay an enticing challenge for you as we head into this series. So here's, here's my closing question. How would things change if we stopped playing it safe? If we started living as victors rather than victims? If we started living as saints, which means set apart ones, consecrate, right? If we started living as saints rather than sinners. How would things change if we started living as children of God 
and not orphans. We're not orphans anymore. We can behave like children of God, for that is who we are. How would things change if we started investing our talents rather than fearfully burying them in the ground? How would things change if we stopped playing it safe? Let me ask you like this. What what, what if we stopped playing it safe in our worship? Do you know what, God? I don't care who's watching. I'm all yours. Time to stop playing it safe. Time to really trust you. What if we stop playing it safe in our, in our responsiveness? Stuff what everyone thinks. The call is for more of God and I'm going forward for more of God. Fed up with playing it safe. God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to press into the fullness. What if we stop playing it safe in our witnessing? So rather than hiding in the comfort zone, we're prepared to to walk across the room. It's a clue that's next week. What if we stop playing it safe in our loving? You know, it can be messy, but they need Jesus, and I have him right here with me. What if we stop playing safe in our, in our giving? You know, let's give this tithing thing a go. Maybe God really can do more with my 90% than I can myself with the full hundred. You know, and those are the challenges that we're going to work our way through uh, during the course of this series. And that might all be a little bit scary. I appreciate that. My, My intention this morning was only to terrify you a little bit. Actually, rather, it was to light a fuse. It was to tantalize you with a challenge, it was to dangle before you a promised land carrot. And we'll see whether that works by whether you come back next week. So here's the response, folks. Response goes like this. As I was, was pondering this, I wonder if in this room there are some people who would in their Christian life, when in life in general, in the context of their Christian journey, would describe themselves as being a little stale, or perhaps a little stuck. To which I say, don't beat yourself up. We've all been there. Quite a few people in the room are probably like that. And I would say that if you are a little stale, and if you do consider yourself to be a little bit stuck, I think this message is for you. I really do. The second type of person I think this is for is is someone who in their Christian life just feels right now they're lacking a little purpose. Lacking a little purpose. In which case, I would say that this message in this series, it's for you. And the third type of person this is for is that person who's just chomping at the bit. You're hungry for more of the Lord. You're desperate to be fruitful for his kingdom, his glory, and his fame. And if that's your heart this morning, praise the Lord, this message, this series, is for you. And all I'm going to say to you as I wrap up here is this. Will you come on this journey with me? And do you know what? It starts, Joshua 3 verse 5, it starts by consecrating yourself. It starts by setting yourself apart. It starts by saying, yes, Lord. It starts by saying, I'm in. It starts by saying, I'm yours. It starts by dedicating yourself to him and his cause 
his kingdom and his glory. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invite uh, Barry and our wonderful worship team to come and uh, lead us. And, and that's very simply the challenge today. As, as, we, uh, as we begin this series, you may be thinking, yikes. You may be thinking, bring it on. But either way, it starts by your personal decision to consecrate yourself before God. I remember my, one of the craziest things I ever did uh, was when I was at university and it was the day before finals came out, results. Like, anyone remember that day? Remember how you felt? Yeah, well, I was a little bit, you know, <clears throat> anxious about this. And that was a, it was a prayer day for me. I was marching around the university playing fields, praying up a storm, you know, not quite blackmailing me, God saying, if I pray really hard, will you give me good exam results? It was a little slightly more holy than that. And, it was, and I remember praying that ridiculous prayer, God, whatever it is you have for me, whatever it is, I'm yours. If, if you want to move me across the seas, if you want to change the course and direction of my life, if you want to, imp- whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'm yours. I remember praying that prayer. I look back on the thing, how crazy was I? But you know what? God answered that prayer. And it's dangerous and it's bold. But what did God say to Joshua? Be bold, be strong, and courageous. And I'd encourage you this morning to pray a prayer like that and say, God, I'm in. I don't want to play it safe. I do love safe. I know I love comfort. You might have to drag me out, Lord. But I'm yours, I'm in, and I'm up for the adventure. Is that okay? Let's stand. Thank you for smiling at me graciously. I appreciate that. No one threw anything at me, which is a, which is a win. I'm going to just pray, and then Barry's going to lead us in Waymaker, hopefully. Is that right? Yeah. Lord, I'll pray this prayer for me, and I'll pray this prayer for the church, and leave everyone else to say their own amen. But Lord, just we want, we want to do it your way. We want to open the door wide for you. God, we know that that holy boldness comes from you. We ask for it. We know that that faith, a measure of faith comes from you. We ask for it. God, would you make us a people who radically trust you who totally obey you. So Lord, this morning we we consecrate ourselves. I consecrate myself afresh. Best on my knees with my face in the dust. Say, God, I'm yours. Take me. I'm yours anyway. Take me, use me. I give you my life, I give you my heart, I give you my job, I give you my family, I give you my challenges, I give you my dreams. I set myself apart for you.